Turn in your Bibles, if you will, back to Hebrews chapter 11. Again, as we work our way through this great chapter, Hebrews 11, we'll look at verses 20 to 22 today. You know, we very much live in a youth culture. It's not just that kids will be kids and their ways are always before us. But older adults want to be kids and recapture their youth and hang on to it for dear life. In some ways, that's uh, kind of inevitable, I guess. People have been searching for the fountain of youth for as long as anyone can remember and beyond. Sometimes, however, it gets a little amusing or even ridiculous to watch middle-aged men and women trying to dress and act like teenagers. But all the youth culture that our nation is caught up in, that the West in general is caught up in, has a downside. If we spend our whole life trying to recapture our youth, we probably fail to prepare for what's ahead. But aging and dying are inevitable, and they present us with unique challenges, even challenges to our faith. You see, it's one kind of faith that trusts God for guidance and career decisions and wisdom to raise children and love to make your marriage work and, and uh, uh, the abundant life that uh, Jesus has provided, has promised. It's a bit of a different kind of faith that trusts God for failing health and increasing weakness for tightened finances and learning to do without for wayward kids and grandkids who may mock your faith for impending death that looms larger every day and probably for a lot of other things that I can't remember. So providentially, this morning we come to a study of the faith of the old folks, a subject especially relevant to some of us and relevant to the rest of you before you ever dreamed it would be. Let me read verse 20 to 22. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Interesting little passage. These verses uh, discuss the faith of some of the patriarchs of Israel. So since we're going to talk about that, let's just quickly review who these people are. Most of you know, but they're Sometimes we get confused about things we maybe heard years ago. God made his covenant with Abraham and Abraham's descendants. Abraham eventually had two sons, Ishmael, the son of his wife's handmaiden, Hagar, and Isaac, his son by Sarah, the son of the child of promise, whom God has said would be the heir of the covenant. So you have Abraham and then you have Isaac next in line in in God's promises. Isaac then had two sons. They were twins, 
Jacob and Esau. Esau was a little bit the older. He was the uh, ruddy uh, uh, outdoorsman whom uh, Isaac loved. Uh, Jacob, who was a few minutes younger, was a, a, a devious little mama's boy that probably was not easy to love. But God had said that he had chosen the less desirable Jacob as the heir of the promises. So there's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Then Jacob had many sons. He had 12 sons. They became the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. And as you recall, Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. Although his brothers hated him, and when he was 17 years old, they sold him uh, to slave traders to take him down in Egypt, from which he never returned. Still, God prospered Joseph, and he rose to high position in Egypt, and eventually, in a time of famine, his whole family was saved because he brought them to Egypt, where there was food. So these are the men that are the subject of our text. Isaac, the son of Abraham, Jacob, the son of Isaac, and the family head uh, of, of the 12 tribes, and Joseph, Jacob's favorite son, who became the great Egyptian leader. In this chapter on faith, God uses the example of these three men, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, to teach us what faith looks like at the end of life. And from all of them, we learn one simple truth. So this is a one-point sermon. Here it is. Faith faces the end of life with hope for the future. Faith faces the end of life with hope for the future. We begin with the example of Isaac. We read about it in verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. You probably know the familiar story about the blessing on uh, Jacob and Esau. It's a story filled with sinful behavior on the part of every single person. Jacob set out to deceive his father who he knew wanted to give a blessing to Esau, his brother, and take that blessing that was intended for his brother for himself. So he dressed up like his brother Esau. He even put some skins where his arms were hairy like Esau's. And, and he came in bringing food that like Esau would prepare, and he claimed to be Esau, and his blind father uh, blessed him. Rebekah, Jacob's mother, conspired with him to trick her husband, she, in order to get the, her, the son she favored, the blessing of the father. She cooked the food that Esau normally cooked and gave it to Jacob and coached him to know how to go and deceive his father. Meanwhile, Esau was wheeling and dealing to get his father's blessing. He was out hunting and to bring some game and to prepare the food that he knew his father liked so his father would bless him. Though years earlier he had despised his father's blessing and sold it to his brother for a pot of stew. And Isaac, the patriarch, ignored God's word that the older would serve the younger. And instead of wanting to give the blessing to Jacob, whom God had said, he served his own desires, his favorite son, his love of the woods, his love of the food that Esau prepared, and he determined he would give the blessing to Esau no matter what God said. What a mess, huh? 
every single person sinning blatantly. How could God ever do anything with this mess? But God uses even the wickedness of people to work out his will. God had said that the blessing that he had, the covenant he had made with Abraham would be passed on, the blessing would be passed on to Jacob. And through all that mess, the the blessing was passed to Jacob. The deceiver, against his father's wishes, his father being tricked, God did this even though the patriarch Isaac did not want that to happen. So how on earth could we say that Isaac's faith was shown here? Our text says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. But according to Genesis 27 28, he was tricked into giving his blessing to Jacob. Well, I think we see Isaac's faith in two ways here. First of all, we see his faith in the fact that after all these years, the covenant God made with Abraham was still alive and well in his family. Isaac believed God's promise to his father Abraham, and he taught his sons to believe it. They must have believed it, for they sought that blessing with such intensity. How different from what we read in the book of Joshua, where Joshua led God's people out of the wilderness into the promised land, and yet at the end of the book it says when Joshua and his peers died, their children didn't know the Lord anymore at all. Didn't know what God had done at all. One generation, and the knowledge of the Lord was lost. Oh, but you see, Isaac's sons did. No. He kept the promise alive. He still believed, and he taught them to believe. It's easy for us to bust on Isaac. But we have to ask ourselves, how well have we kept God's promises alive in the lives of our children? We also see Isaac's faith in his recognition of God's hand in the giving of this blessing to Jacob. Listen to Genesis 27, verse 33. This is where uh, Jacob's been in and his father's blessed him and he leaves and then Esau comes in. Uh, He's been out doing what his father said and he comes in with food and all and he's expecting his father to bless him. And and when, when when, when Isaac hears Esau, Here's what he says. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. And indeed he will be blessed. This is amazing. Isaac who had set heart set on blessing Esau in spite of God's command, when he realized what had happened, he immediately, mid-sentence, turned from his selfish ways and affirmed that that Jacob, to whom he had given the blessing, even though deceived, was going to be the one blessed. And we know that's the case because it's reiterated in Genesis 28 where we read, where he says, May God, to, to Jacob, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers 
until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien, the land God gave to Abraham. Here it is the promise specifically made to Abraham that I saw him, that Isaac embraces and passes on to his son Jacob. Not because Jacob was his favorite son, but because God had made his choice and had worked it out even through their wickedness. And once again, there's a lesson for us here. How quick can you change gears? When God makes it clear that he's doing something different than what you wanted to do. Can we take no from it as an answer from God? When he makes his will clear, will we immediately support it 100%? Or do we keep fighting him and fighting him? By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. Though deceived at first, he affirmed this was God's doing. With his faith, facing the end of his life, Humbled by his weakness, but certain of the hope of the future. That's the first example, Isaac. Verse 21, we have a second example from the life of Jacob. We read, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Let me tell you about Joseph, uh, Jacob's situation Uh, in the midst of the events uh, referred to here. By this time, Jacob is now not a young guy deceiving his father. His father's long gone. Jacob is an old man now. It's now been over 200 years since God made the promises to Grandpa Abraham. But now, rather than living in the land that God had promised Abraham, where was Jacob? He was now living. He was now about to die as an alien down in Egypt, hundreds of miles away from the land God had promised. Not only that, but whereas God had promised to preserve Abraham's family and make of them a great nation, here is Jacob's favorite son, Joseph, with his children, who are half Egyptian. He had an Egyptian wife. How can this be the descendants of Abraham that God had promised? I have to ask myself how vibrant my faith would have been at this point. For it appeared that God's promises had not been kept. Here yet another generation was about to pass away with apparently no progress, no sign that God was really going to do what he had said he would do. But our text tells us that two things show Jacob's faith here at the end of his life. Now the text puts them so close together we think it's one thing, but it's actually two things. And uh, they're presented in uh, Genesis in the opposite order that they're mentioned here. The first one is that Jacob worshipped leaning on his staff. Listen to this uh, passage from Genesis 47. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel, that is Jacob, to die, 
He called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, Joseph said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him, and Jacob worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Do you see how Jacob's faith is still alive and well here at the end of his life? He says, this is not my home. Don't bury me here. Though in reality, Jacob must have lived better in Egypt as the father of the exalted prime minister of Egypt than he ever lived as a nomad back in the land of Canaan. But God's promises were more real to him than the comfort and luxury of Egypt. But beyond even that, Jacob had a greater hope. He knew and worshipped the God of his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham, and he believed that God's promise to give Israel the land of Canaan was certainly going to come to pass. And that's how faith was defined, remember? The certainty of things hoped for, but yet unseen. Jacob's faith faced the end of his life, making provision in hope for the future. Then he he demonstrated his faith uh, in another way as he pronounced blessing on Joseph's sons. We hear that blessing in, in Genesis 48. Let me read it. God Almighty appeared to me at Lutz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples. I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, he says to Joseph, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here, will be reckoned as my sons. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just like Reuben and Simeon to the other brothers are mine. Jacob reached out his right hand and put it under Ephraim's head, on Ephraim's head, as though he was the younger, and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. Maybe they call, may they be called by my name, the name, names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. How does this show the faith of Jacob? Why would the writer of Hebrews pick this? as an example of faith. Well, what was Jacob's hope for his grandsons? That they would rise to be powerful in Egypt like their father? And he could have reasoned, man, these grandsons of mine, now they've got a leg up, they're half Egyptian. They're going to be recognized, they're going to be accepted immediately. They will rise to greatness, they will have wealth and power. No, that wasn't what he was concerned about. His dream for them, his blessing on them, was that they would inherit what was promised to their great-great-grandfather Abraham. 
to be called God's holy people like Jacob was, to walk in covenant with the God of Abraham, to know his favor. Like me, some of your grandparents now, I challenge you. What do you want for your grandchildren? What do you hold before them? What do you pray for them? What do you leave them as a legacy? Lots of stuff. Material wealth to finance their wayward ways. Or legacy of God's promises which you have lived out before them and which you expect them to live after you're gone. Jacob was living and acting in faith there at the very end of his life when everything seemed to have come to nothing. But he knew God keeps his promises and he blesses these grandsons with God's promise. By faith, Jacob faced the end of his life filled with hope for the future through his grandsons. Finally, and thirdly, we come to the brief, strange statement about Joseph in verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when the end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. We read that story in Genesis 50, the very end of the book of Genesis. Let me read a little bit more of it. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children, also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land, to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath, and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in the coffin in Egypt. Once again, we have to ask, why is this an example of faith here? Well, let's review what we know about Joseph here in this situation. Joseph is now an old man. It says that he lived to see the third generation of, his, of Ephraim, his son's children. So he saw Ephraim, he saw Ephraim's children, that would be his grandchildren. He saw Ephraim's children's children, that would be his great-grandchildren. Joseph lived 110 years. But think about it. He went to Egypt when he was 17 years old. He's lived 93 years in Egypt. He's an Egyptian, right? All those promises that Abraham had talked about, nothing had happened with all that. It's been almost 300 years now since Abraham. Plus, Egypt is the world power of the day. Joseph knew that. Joseph had been at the pinnacle of power in Egypt. In Egypt, they were probably writing books about Joseph, something entitled, From Slave to Prisoner to Prime Minister. 
Obviously, Egypt, with its wealth and its culture and its power, was the hope of the world in Joseph's day. And you would assume in Joseph's heart, he's been there 97 years, 93 years. Oh, but notice where Joseph's heart is. It's not in Egypt's power. It's not in his accomplishments there. It's in the ancient promise God made to his great-grandfather, Abraham. So in demonstration of his commitment, his faith in those promises, Joseph makes his family promise that when the time comes that God delivers them out of there and they go back to the land of Canaan, you take my bones with you out of Egypt. He was that certain that God would do what he said he would do. And 400 more years later, at the time of the Exodus, when God delivered his people out of Egypt, they gathered up Joseph's bones and carried them back to the land of Canaan. For Joseph was a man of faith, And faith faces the end of life, not in despair, but with certain hope for the future. Let me put it in terms of our own lives. I ask you bluntly, where is your hope for the future generations? In America, with its wealth, power, technology... Or in the God of Abraham. We can see where our hope is by where we put our wealth and our energies. Is our hope in lobbying Congress to appropriate more money for education because education is the hope for the future? Or do we strive to make sure that our children know God's word and learn to worship and identify with God's people and walk in his ways? In which do you have hope? For your home. Joseph understood that the wealth and power of Egypt was nothing compared to the promises of God's covenant. May God give his people in our day such clear understanding of where real hope lies. So that in faith we might look death right in the face and say our deathbed goodbyes to our children and our grandchildren filled with hope in the promise of God and his grace and glory, which is so certain. The late Dr. Philip Hughes had some thoughts concerning faith in the face of dying. Let me read a quote from him. He says, Death with terrible finality disintegrates man as a person obliterating his faculties and frustrating his ambitions. But faith which triumphs over the vicissitudes of life transcends also the negation of death. If this were not so, the principle of faith would be completely nullified. But in the hour of death in particular is the hour of the victory of faith. 
in this text in Hebrews. The Spirit points us to the triumph of faith in the face of death, the last and darkest trial of all. For the death of faith is, if anything, even more remarkable than the life of faith. The death of faith is even more remarkable than the life of faith. You see, when our faces are pressed against the wall at the end of life and we cannot see what's ahead, that is the time when either our faith is the most real thing in the world, for only by faith can we see what's ahead, and by faith we have great hope, or our faith proves to be the phoniest thing in the whole world, brought to nothing by our impending demise. But true faith faces the end of life with hope for the future. Faith sees beyond today. Faith considers God's promises better than life. Faith prepares our children to inherit the promises. And faith dies in hope, waiting for God's eternal promises. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, our faith is so often cultural faith. We kind of uh, go along because we're part of a church. We believe the stories. Uh, Lord, we have good feelings about it. And yet, Lord, uh, death is such a brutal enemy that it tests our faith. And as we approach it, as we get weaker, as uh, problems uh, overwhelm us and we see the end in view, then we find out, Lord, what our faith is really made of. Give us faith that is strong, that transcends even a life of faith, that we die in faith with hope for your promises that we've not yet seen. Oh, Father, we can't conjure this up. Lord, we can put on a front and make everybody think we're people of faith, but you know that when the chips are down, what we really are, what we really believe, becomes obvious. So refine us and renew us from the inside out and make us, Lord, what you want us to be. Forbid that we should go through the motions, Lord, and not know the reality. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.